FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is the WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Now your host, Scott Walker. Right now that time, 817, you're tuned to WGNS again on this Monday morning, today the 6th of March, and with us in studio for the first half of the program, we have Katrina Rucker, who is the Vice President of Human Resources at Roscoe Brown. How are you this morning? I'm good. Thank you, Scott. Well, Roscoe Brown's an interesting company. They've been around for over 80 years, mm-hmm. and I, I was looking back at some past records we had here. It, it looks like they started advertising with us probably back in 47 or so. <laughs> That's probably about right. But it, it's cool to have local companies that are still locally owned right here in Rutherford County. And, and 80 plus years, you don't find that much. That's right. Actually, uh, this week it'll be 83 years. So we wow. started in uh, March of 1940. And Roscoe himself uh, started in a tin shop making sheet metal. And then we've grown to the company we are today. We've got about 165 employees in three different locations. And I know you do HVAC work and also plumbing. But when you look at HVAC systems over the years, I I can't imagine the change from way back in the 40s to today. Yes, uh, lots of changes. So you have to be uh, very flexible with technology. government regulations are always changing so it is a it is a field that you you have to be flexible and continue to change and learn because it's never the same so it's uh it's a challenge sometimes to keep our technicians up to date but that's one thing we do at roscoe brown is we provide uh, really good training and uh, and up-to-date knowledge now I, i know another challenge that has been true with really every business every line of work over the past few years is hiring new employees and and that problem really grew whenever that pandemic hit. That's exactly right. Uh, One thing with the pandemic with heating and air and plumbing is uh, we are uh, pandemic uh, proof, I guess. We had to to keep going. Uh, Our technicians uh, on plumbing and HVAC continued working their 40 hours plus because people, uh, even though you're home, you still needed your air, your heat, your, your plumbing. So we had uh, technicians that were running uh, more often and sometimes more than 40 hours on a routine basis. And so after that, we did not really lose a lot of employees due to COVID. Ours is mainly just the trades in general really need uh, a, a lot of folks these days days to continue and sustain the future needs and i know on on top of covid and the whole pandemic that seemed like it lasted for three (laughs) years solid but i know it it didn't but on top of that we're in a county where the the unemployment rate is under three percent usually and when you have an unemployment rate of three percent or less a lot of people think well that means there's tons of jobs out there well it means the opposite it means everybody's got a job and then the problem is it makes it even harder to find new people to bring into hire yes it's very difficult uh at roscoe brown what we're doing is we're uh, partnering a lot with the school systems and even getting down to elementary and junior high students and parents to let them know the opportunities that we have with uh, techno- uh, technicians. It's not only uh, 
it, it's a trade that's recession proof. It's uh, we've pandemic proof, but you can also take it anywhere in the country. You don't have to stay just right here in Middle Tennessee. We want you to, but uh, getting down to uh, early kids in schools to let them know it, there is a really good career you can make really good money and there's paths to leadership and other opportunities as well i know for several years in a row at the state capitol lawmakers were pushing and pushing and pushing college you know every kid out there we need you to go straight to college right after high school we, we you know they've set up programs for it lottery money for it and so forth but then I think at one point, probably last year or the year before, they took a step back and kind of realized, well, what about the trades industry? We're running out of employees to work at, at factories, to work at, and I could just go on and on about the list. Yes, you're you're exactly right. Uh, we had several years to where we pushed. Uh, I mean, even my daughter uh, being in her mid-20s, it was like, you're going to go to college, you're going to go to college. Well, what we figured out is not every student uh, wants to go to college, needs to go to college, and there's other opportunities out there for them. So the, the trades industry kind of got uh, uh, overlooked by so many students for so many years. And so now we're trying to get that back in the schools. And that's why I'm here today is to, to get the word out that the, the trades uh, are much needed uh, industry to get into. Uh, we were talking just a few minutes ago. I mean, you're talking about people that are going to continue to work on hospitals and nursing homes and schools and businesses like this. If we don't have those people that are trained in those type uh, uh, industries, we're not going to have the resources that we need in the future. And that's a little bit scary if you sit and think about it. And just to reiterate, there is a lot of money to be made outside of you know a child going to college in order to get a degree and then go to work that direction there's a lot of money to be made outside of that that's exactly right and uh, at roscoe brown we uh we we thrive at paying you know uh top wages uh we also have a guaranteed 40-hour work week that's something that uh, roscoe started back in uh, back in the day so we do uh, uh, we promise that 40 hours and that's something that a lot of companies out there uh, do not provide uh, most of our work is local and we have got uh, we've got openings right now uh, in our commercial plumbing commercial um, HVAC so any type technician or if you want to learn we ask you to reach out we've got a lot of different opportunities now a 40-hour work week so days roughly eight hours which yes. sounds very good because there's so many other jobs out there where folks are working 10 11 12 hours a day they don't have time for their family but with something like 40 hours a week or you i mean you can have a life uh-huh you can and especially now during those uh, summer times when it's hot and the winters we had like at Christmas, uh, as a technician, you will be working a lot of hours. But the nice thing about a guaranteed 40 is when it's uh, kind of in our slower periods, a lot of uh, companies and factories and just work in general, you start getting your hours cut back because we're not busy. So with a guaranteed 40, uh, we're either training, uh, there's just a lot of opportunities we can do with that 40 hours. But in the summer and those uh, those big months, you're probably going to get more than 40 for sure. 
And when you look at factories out there, a lot of them have factory shutdowns that sometimes last up to a month. So that would be really difficult, college degree or not. I mean, it's going to hurt. It, exactly. And, and I'm not here today to say don't go to college. Please don't uh, misunderstand me there. Uh, because that's very important, and uh, we, we need those folks with college degrees. And we have people at Roscoe Brown that has college degrees. So, there's again, there's lots of opportunities in the trades. Uh, for myself, I've been there five years. I never thought I'd work for a heating and air company. But being in human resources, that's, again, an opportunity for me to work at a trades company. And so, don't don't knock it until you try and at roscoe brown you have a special apprenticeship program in order to get somebody from point a to point b uh, that way they can understand the field they're going into and then actually master it and uh, maybe be a supervisor one day at roscoe brown that's exactly right we have an apprenticeship that we've had for about three years we're getting ready to relaunch it with uh, a new name and uh several new um uh publicity things with that i won't i won't steal that thunder right now but <clears throat> actually what it does is to your point scott it brings somebody in that knows nothing about uh heating and air or plumbing and we take you from day one uh, it takes about a year to go through and there's stages and as you work and as you learn and get to different stages uh you're learning the trade plus you're earning a living uh you're getting paid hourly you're uh, qualified for all of your benefits so you start day one and we train you in that particular trade uh, we found out that that that's the best way for us to grow our future technicians and so far it is it's working very well so what's it like working for basically what started as a family business and still is a family business that's been around for over 80 years because you said you've been there for five years so i'm sure you worked maybe in the corporate world before mm -hmm. so what's it like coming into a family business with an 80 plus year history yes it's uh it's very different but it's very rewarding uh our our current owner norman brown is uh of course the grandson of roscoe so it's a family business uh it's nice to to see him and his wife beth uh, being active in the business uh, that's something you don't you do not see in a, a corporate world and plus it's family oriented and what I mean by that uh, there is 165 employees but you really get to know each other and you know that the the family cares about you and that's something you're not going to find at a uh, lot of our lot of corporate uh, entities but that's what sets I think Roscoe Brown apart from a lot of the other uh, heating and air companies is that we are that small hometown and our technicians and our people really make a difference in our community and people are appreciated and just the work environment is one that I don't think you can find anywhere else. I know the the radio station has used Roscoe Brown for years and and when those technicians come in it's a different feeling when I'm not trying to, to put down any other company. I mean, we've used a few, but when other technicians from other companies come in, I feel like they're trying to sell me something in addition to whatever they're here to repair. But at Roscoe Brown, I've noticed that they don't really push and push and push and push that extra sell or that 
upsell, if you would. Right. What what we want to do is we want to take care of that customer, do a thorough evaluation, and, and let that customer know exactly what's going on with their, their system. Uh, we don't, to your point, we don't try to upsell. We just tell customers what they're, what's wrong with their systems and hear your options to repair, and we let the customer decide. And there's a uh, the training that we send all of our technicians through that kind of teach them that particular process, and everybody follows that process. And to your point, it makes you feel more comfortable as a uh, customer. And that's ultimately what we're there to do is to tell you what's wrong with your system, what the options are, and to help you make the, the right decision for you. So if somebody out there listening, maybe they're, they're looking for a career change and, and they've already worked out there in the field of, of who knows what for the last 10 years, but they're looking for something different. Can anybody apply to be a part of the apprenticeship program and, and learn to work the trade at Roscoe Brown? Yes, I'm sitting here nodding my head at Scott like everybody can see. But uh, yes, radio, yeah. yes, that's radio. Yes. But uh, yes, we have had, uh, I've had nurses apply. I've had uh, engineers apply. I've had a lot of uh, construction folks apply as well. So we will, we will teach you in the apprenticeship program. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, folks that will start and not know maybe what, maybe a hammer, they know what that is, but different uh, pieces of, of tools that you would think that maybe everybody would know, people do not know these days. So we will take you with uh, zero uh, knowledge and train you to be that expert plumber or HVAC technician. And then the good thing about working at somewhere like Roscoe Brown, every day is not going to be identical. You're going to be at different houses, different buildings, different businesses, and so forth. So you're you're on the go, which makes, I think, the day go by a lot quicker. It does. Uh, a lot of customer service involvement. That's one of the things we look for when we're talking to folks about recruiting is can you interact with customers? And that's a big piece because you're going to be in their home. You're going to be uh, talking to them about what's going on with their system. So you have to be able to communicate. And uh, that's that's really the only requirement that we have up front is that you, you, you like people and you, you like to solve problems. And again, this morning, we are talking with Katrina Rucker, the Vice President of Human Resources at Roscoe Brown here in Murfreesboro. If somebody listening wants to apply or if they have a maybe a son, a daughter who, who they mm-hmm. think may want to apply, wh- what do they need to do? The best place to go is on our website at roscoebrown.com. And at the top of our webpage, there will be an opportunity for careers. And you can send us a message. You can fill out an application. Uh, you can come by the office. Uh, you can call in the office and ask for uh, me or our recruiting manager, Lindsay Joyner, and we'll be happy to get you set up. You can even come and do what's called a ride to decide and spend the day with a technician to kind of see what they do and see if it's something you want to pursue. That sounds pretty simple. Yes, it is. Very simple. <laughs> Again, with us this morning, Katrina Rucker, Vice President of Human Resources at Roscoe Brown. And as we close this morning, is there anything we left off? I don't think so. I just appreciate you uh, having me on this morning. This is my first time on radio, so uh, uh, appreciate the patience, but uh, let us know how we can help. Sounds great. Well, again, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you. At time right now, 832, you're listening to WGNS on this Monday. More news and information comes your way next. 
Do you suffer from peripheral neuropathy in your hands or feet, burning pain, balance problems, and a decreased quality of life? Magnolia Medical Center can help. This is Dr. David Morris with Magnolia Medical Center, across the street from the hospital and the Ascend Federal Credit Building. Online at magnoliamedicalcenters.com. Hi, this is Dan Mitchell from Music World and Drummer's Den. We offer a good assortment of everything. We have new guitars, Gill, Seagull, Godin, lots of brands, vintage guitars. We have everything you need, keyboards, drums, and every instrument you can think of. We would welcome you to come in and look around, see what you can find that you have to have. And Music World and Drummer's Den is located at 2762 South Church Street, right across from Indian Hills Golf Course. If you're looking for an authentic relationship with financial experts who genuinely care about your unique needs, Capstar Bank is for you. Capstar Bank is dedicated to the people of this community. Capstar Bank wants to help you reach your financial goals. Because at Capstar Bank, you matter to us. Capstar Bank, 2230 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, capstarbank.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Right now that time is 8.33. Now time to take a look at the Commissioner Corner with Rutherford County Commissioner Craig Harris. The Commissioner Corner with Commissioner Craig Harris. Every day more than 90 Americans die after overdosing on opioids. That is more than three people per hour. As if the death rate wasn't bad enough, the CDC estimates the economic burden of prescription opioid misuse in the United States is $78.5 billion per year, including the cost of health care, lost productivity, and addiction treatment. Despite the grim subject matter depicted on TV and in movies, opioid addiction is not confined to big cities. The effects of the opioid epidemic are more intense in rural communities like Rutherford County. Between 1999 and 2015, opioid death rates in rural areas have quadrupled among persons 18 to 25 years old and tripled for females. Analysts say the problem started with the prescription of legal pain medications, but note it has intensified in recent years with the influx of cheap heroin and synthetic opioids, particularly fentanyl, which are supplied by Mexican cartels across our weak southern border. The crisis has reached such a scale that it has become a threat to national security. We didn't develop an opioid epidemic until there was a huge surplus of opioids provided by big pharmaceutical companies. The U.S. consumes 93% of the world's hydrocodone opioid production. Overdose deaths involving opioids has increased more than six-fold since 1999. In 2019, the most recent year for which full data is available, Opioid overdoses accounted for nearly 50,000 deaths, more than seven times the number of U.S. military service members killed in post-9-11 wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. The number of opioid-related deaths shot up in 2020 to around 70,000 and again in 2021 to 80,000. Since 2015, the opioid morality rate has contributed to a historical decline in life expectancy in the United States. The majority of those who overdose on opioids are white Americans. This group constituted 70% of the annual total of deaths in the year 2020. In our state, approximately 60,000 Tennesseans suffer from some form of dependency on prescription narcotics. Tennessee ranks number two in the nation for opioid abuse. In 2021, 3,814 Tennesseans died from drug overdose. That's double the number of deaths in 2017. 
For every person who dies from an opioid overdose, there are 851 people in various stages of misuse, abuse, or treatment. That's over a million people, or one out of six. This epidemic does not spare our children. Prescription opioid abuse has resulted in more children being removed from homes and entering into state's custody. About 50% of children taken into the Department of Child Services care were removed from homes due to parental drug abuse. You might ask, what can we do? In 2018, I ran my campaign on this issue. I believe it then, and I believe it today. We must attack with a focus on awareness, education, and recovery. We have to work with our community coalitions, support our sheriff's department who has helped me in this county establish a drug task force, support recovery courts, and work with District Attorney Jennings Jones to diverting jail sentences to recovery assistance. We as a society need to quit stigmatizing drug abusers. We must remember they are someone's child, father, mother, or loved one. I cannot reiterate the importance of educating our children. The whole county must work together for us to have a chance at victory. On a personal note, I hate addiction. I hate the pain and destruction it leaves in its wake. Right now, while you are listening to my words, it is destroying lives. I have a child who I love more than anything in the world that is in the midst of a lifelong battle with addiction. As a parent, the pain is unbearable, and life is insanity. It's like watching your child on fire and you had the fire extinguisher, but they just run away. It has affected my health, my family, my business, and my sanity. You see, I feel like the biggest fraud in this county. I'm trying to save your children, but I cannot help my own. That pain is unbearable. It is immeasurable, and I constantly try to hide it. Some of you may not know me, but I am a strong man, and I will never quit fighting for my daughter or your loved ones. Talk to your children. Pay attention. Notice their appearance. Meet their friends. Watch for changes in their lives. We have to save our most important commodity, our children. I pray for every one of you, and please pray for me. If you or someone you know are struggling with addiction, you can email me at craigharris at rutherfordcountytn.gov and I will get you help. God bless you all. And this is Craig Harris, and this is the Commissioner Corner. For the Commissioner Corner, that was County Commissioner Craig Harris. Hear his ideas and opinions every Monday morning, right here on this station. The views of Rutherford County Commissioner Craig Harris are just that, his views. They're not necessarily the views of this radio station, website, or our advertisers. Feel free to send your thoughts and ideas to Commissioner Harris by emailing him at ccotinc at comcast.net. That's ccotinc at comcast.net. Hi, this is Peter Demas. One of the things that we've done years ago is we've been able to do our orders like our pastas and many other items that we used to be able to put them in large pans. And now we have a catering team that will even deliver it to your home. We can drop it off for you, set it up, or they can come in and pick it up. Look up our catering menu on www.demasrestaurants.com. This is Peter Demas at Demas's Restaurant, 1115 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Right now that time, 8.40, you're listening to WGNS. And on the second half of the program this morning, we're talking about the walk to end Alzheimer's. And with us this morning, the chairperson for that walk, Dina O'Neill, and also Kevin Fair is with us with Amada Senior Care. How are both y'all doing this morning? 
I'm, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Doing wonderful. Thank you. So I guess first, let's start off talking a little bit about Alzheimer's and dementia, because I know I've always heard that in Middle Tennessee, there's a higher number of those who have Alzheimer's than a lot of other areas. I don't know if that's accurate, but I've always heard that. So Rutherford County, um, Alzheimer's is the fourth leading cause of death Wow! in this county. So yes, it's pretty significant in this area. So what are some of those early signs or symptoms to look out for when it comes to Alzheimer's? Yeah, I mean, so one of the things um, that we we stress with folks is when you start to see noticeable behavioral changes that are not explainable. Um, you, you know, forgetting where you put your keys. I mean, I forget that a lot too. So you know, not a big deal. But I mean, things that can become um, detrimental to somebody in the home, such as forgetting to turn off a stove, forgetting to turn off water, right? Those are signs of a, a cognitive dissonance that needs to be addressed and looked at by a healthcare professional. Does somebody with Alzheimer's, do they actually recognize, you know, hey, I, I am forgetting this more and more and more, or is it usually a family member? It's usually the family member. So for context with uh, my company, Amada Senior Care, we provide caregivers to go into the home to help the elderly. Oftentimes it is our caregivers that will report back to us and to the family that there is a cognitive decline with behavioral observations and then we can address that with family members. Alzheimer's disease is often underdiagnosed, misdiagnosed uh, in the healthcare community and there are various stages, okay? And thus in turn, each stage there is a, a decline uh, that is exhibited by behavioral change. Hey, I think when Pat Summit, the coach of, of the UT Lady Vols, whenever she came out to talk about Alzheimer's and her having Alzheimer's and her family started speaking out about it, it became, I don't know, better known. I think more people realized how big of a problem Alzheimer's really is. It very much still has a stigmatism of let's not talk about it. Um, it is incredible. I can go in to talk to a group and I will ask people, just raise your hand if you have somebody in your family who's dealing with this disease or has dealt with this disease. And people will raise their hand and then you'll see other people saying, I didn't know that. You did? I didn't know you did either. Right. People just don't talk about it. And when it does impact, you know, your own family, I, I'm sure it's a lot tougher to deal with than just hearing about it or seeing it on the outside looking in because you're talking about a loved one, could be a parent, a grandparent, and it could even start at a much younger age than the typical age of a grandparent. So there is younger onset Alzheimer's, that is Alzheimer's, that is diagnosed before the age of 65. Mm -hmm. I have an aunt who is diagnosed with that. I have lost two grandparents to the disease. It's very difficult when you're the family member because yes, you don't want to really see it because it is known this is a disease that progresses. This is a disease that does not have a cure yet. And that is really difficult to accept. Right. And it's a, it's a terminal diagnosis. Okay. And there is a, you know, the data says the Alzheimer's Association 
upon diagnosis, uh, a life expectancy can be eight years is the average, but yet people have lived with the disease for upwards of, of 20 years. So that's why resources, local resources that the Alzheimer's Association provides is key for family members. If that diagnosis is made, there's a lot of, of help that, that is out there. And is it the... I don't know, the, the mid to later stages of Alzheimer's where that family member forgets the names of their kids, forgets the name of their husband or wife. I mean, at what point do you typically see that? Yep. So I think the, the best way to say it, you will notice a phys, you will notice the physical changes in what we call stage three of Alzheimer's disease. That is cognitive impairment that is becoming noticeable. As you move into stage four, it becomes more of a moderate, and that's when the name forgetfulness occurs, uh, you know, not relating to your spouse that you've been married to for, let's say, 40 years, you know, and then eventually it is a, it is a physiological breakdown. So the late stages is when you lose the ability to communicate, you lose, uh, your body simply just shuts down. And it's, uh, it is very, very disheartening to see somebody in late stage Alzheimer's. And I hear all these different symptoms from different folks that some say, well, my, my grandfather or father became more combative. He became more angry and would have outbursts that he never had before. Or maybe it's a case where they just don't remember or know where they are and they feel scared. What are some of the other things that you do see? I mean, one of the most common terms is called sundowners effect. And, and the best way I explain this to families is we associate light with good. We associate dark with scary or bad. So as the sun is setting and as, as the, the, the mood changes, folks can get more anxious. They can get more, to your point, combative. Thus, in turn, family members, when, when the sun is beginning to set, they should you know, close the blinds, turn on all the lights, keep, keep the environment as, as friendly and, and, and static as possible. So those changes, um, you know, that's just one example. They also have difficulty with their words in terms of you might hear them say, instead of saying, I want my phone, you might hear, I want my banana, and they will not realize that they made that word substitution and one thing that is really recommended is don't correct them don't say oh you meant to say phone that's just going to lead to frustration and anger possibly on that person's side you might want to repeat the sentence back after them with the correct word which is a more gentle way of suggesting that correct word. Mm -hmm. Oh, you want your phone. And then the, oh yeah, yeah, that's what I want. Yeah. Oh, okay. And here in Rutherford County, the Alzheimer's Association, they've got a lot of resources available to kind of point people in the right direction, point family members in the right direction. And then also I, I know they have information on how to get assistance, especially for those who are trying their best to care for that family member with Alzheimer's on their own. Absolutely. There is an office that people can go to, sit down with a professional, uh, kind of walk them through where are you at that moment in terms of diagnosis, not a diagnosis. 
um, services that you're receiving, and then they can start filling in those gaps. There's also a 1-800 number that's available 24-7 in over 200 different languages where you can call in and a master's level clinician is going to answer. And this phone, this phone line is for anybody. Uh, we've had doctors call it, nurses, we've had family members call it, I've called it. Anyone can use this piece of information and call in and get resources that you need and they're going to take your zip code and they're going to say okay right in your neighborhood this is what you can find in terms of resources hey, i recently read an article and it was about cancer patients but it was talking about how the caregivers the family members who are caring for that cancer patient especially in cases where it's a terminal cancer those family members have a shorter life expectancy because they literally get worn out and worn down by continuously caring for their loved one. Is that also true when it comes to Alzheimer's? If somebody is trying to take on all that job themselves? Yeah, I would actually say it's it's potentially more um, devastating caring for a, f a family member with Alzheimer's or a form of vascular dementia. And that's uh, having the honor of running Amada Senior Care. We're in our ninth year now and based here in Murfreesboro, that's the respite that we provide to families, right? Because I see it day in and day out, a, a spouse gets mentally and physically worn out um, as the disease progresses. Thus, in turn, they can augment um, by bringing in one of our uh, certified caregivers to, uh, to help out. And we do see a rise in costs for health care for those caregivers in addition to the person with the disease. Hey, and I can't imagine, you know, that being in that capacity where, where you have to care for somebody you've been married to for 40 years and, and they don't remember who you are. I, I mean, that mental side of it has got to be one of the biggest burdens to carry on. It's exhausting. It is just physically, emotionally, mentally exhausting. They have lost that person that was their best friend. You know, the person's closest to them in life. And that is frustrating and sad and they are angry that there's a lot of emotions there and it's interesting because you know there's even been news stories in the past not necessarily here locally but where somebody with alzheimer's will call 911 on you know their spouse or their son or their daughter not knowing who they are thinking there's somebody in their house i, I can't imagine being there i can't imagine and i can't imagine being the the person who has the alzheimer's who can't remember and how scary life would seem yes i mean you know we're all familiar with amber alerts when missing children um well there are silver alerts um when the elderly or somebody with a a dementia um, gets out of their house and unfortunately they can't get their way back and they just start wandering and you know they're picked up by the police two miles down the road and all they did was go out to their mailbox to get the mail and they they didn't have the the ability to get back into their home it's it's truly devastating it seems like we hear about a silver alert at least once a month in rutherford county or one of the surrounding areas i mean it, it does happen a lot it seems like it it does and my grandmother was person who was a silver alert she got up at 2 30 in the morning uh turned the stove on for heat uh didn't need to don't know why 
The police found her walking down the middle of the road in her nightgown, and she didn't know how to find her way home. Wow. It, did what, what did she think she was doing, or did she ever say what she She thought? was so confused. She didn't know. She was trying to get, quote-unquote, home, thinking back to the home she lived in with my mom, my mom's siblings, and my grandfather. In reality, she was living in an apartment because my grandfather had passed away with Alzheimer's. And she had cared for him for all those years. You know, I it's it's fascinating to think about how, you know, somebody's mind can go back to even their childhood and, and they think they're a child again. They think they are living in their childhood home. But it's scary, of course, at the same right. time and sad but I can't imagine having those thoughts and I can't imagine being that person with Alzheimer's and going through that. I mean, I know I keep saying that, but it's really hard to imagine. If if you sit with somebody with um, let's say stage three, stage four Alzheimer's and, and just talk to them, you will be surprised how sharp their long-term memory is. I mean, they can remember very detailed things from the home they grew up in, where they were born, and yet they can't remember what they said five minutes ago. So the short-term memory is drastically impaired as you get to those stages. But the the long-term, you know, it, 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 the, the brain is really, really fascinating. And when they're talking about, like, let's say their childhood, they may think they're really in that time period, which could have been 1950, but they think that's where they are. When I was a speech therapist working with patients with Alzheimer's, um, the ones that I was working with thought they were back in World War II. And it was detrimental to say, no, no, it's now so-and-so time. It would just upset them. They wouldn't understand. They mentally weren't in that timeline and so I would just nod and say tell me more you know and just kind of talk with them and let them share those stories. Again with us this morning Dina O'Neill and Kevin Fair and we're talking about Alzheimer's and dementia and the walk to end Alzheimer's is coming up it's going to be in October I, I know that's fairly good ways in the distance but people are putting teams together they're raising money for the Alzheimer's Association. This gives them time to do that. Uh, But how can they get more involved? Or if they have questions, because they have a loved one going through Alzheimer's, that battle, who who can they call? Well, we're actually going to have a community forum March 11th at First United Methodist at 10 a.m. And that is a great place to come, hear the latest research, find out the research that's literally going on down the street at Vanderbilt University and also find out more about support groups and then if you want to register a team for walk we'll be there to help you do that and the walk to end alzheimer's it raises money every year and they have walks all over the nation but it raises money to further research cures for alzheimer's and and are we any closer to finding a cure yes i i would say we are i was one of two people sent here from rutherford county to a national summit on Alzheimer's. And we learned that there are two drugs out there currently that treat mild cognitive impairment, the early stage of Alzheimer's and other dementia. And those two drugs came about because of research the Alzheimer's Association helped 
to fund. And that money came straight from the walks. So money that's raised at this walk here in Ruthra County helps fund those studies going on at Vanderbilt University. Do you think there will ever be a day where they can actually end Alzheimer's and and maybe even have a medicine that kind of reverses the effect of Alzheimer's once it is diagnosed? You know, that's the goal. The goal for all of us who participate in this walk, who support the Alzheimer's Association, our goal is one day to have a day without Alzheimer's or any other dementia. And so that's the goal of all this research, not just to find a treatment. The goal is to find a treatment and a cure for this disease. And has there been research done to see if those short-term memories, even though they can't recall them, they're still there? They have research in so many different aspects of Alzheimer's. They're studying all different types of things. And again, the walk to end Alzheimer's is going to be in October. I know an exact date hasn't been set, but is it going to be a Gateway Island this year? Uh, no, not this year. We're, no. we're working to see if we can get an even uh, different location that has parking that's just a little bit more available. We know that we have walkers who bring their children. They've got strollers. Um, they have their loved ones who are in a walker or a wheelchair. And we, we think we've got a special place that might work. To be determined. That's right. <laughs> if anybody wants to help out again, they can just call or contact the Alzheimer's Association. Is that the best thing to do? That is. Um, if they call that 1-800 number, 1-800-272-3900, um, they can give their zip code and then the person on the other end will tell them, here's your local office. We're going to connect you and you can get connected in. We only have about a, a minute or so left, but in closing, what, what would you tell somebody out there who is currently caring for a loved one who has Alzheimer's or dementia? Uh, I would advise that asking for help is a sign of strength. It's not a sign of weakness um, because uh, caring for somebody on your own is, as we stated earlier, it is it is very difficult so whether that outreach is to family friends your church community uh, a company like amada whomever that might be it's it's strength to ask for help because it is a a, a tough a tough process and if you don't ask for help and you continue that road of you trying to do everything i mean it's going to lead to high blood pressure it's going to lead to a lot of other problems with your health too and that's potentially not good in the long run for sure because you don't want to pass away before that loved one does exactly exactly so you know reach out like he said it could be your church friends other family organizations like the alzheimer's association we're here to help we just want to support Again with us this morning, we have Kevin Fair from Amada Senior Care and Dina O'Neill, the chairperson for the Walk to End Alzheimer's here in Rutherford County. And that is going to do it for this morning's program. And we will post this on our website as a podcast in just a few minutes. Web address, WGNSRadio.com. Well, thank you both for joining us. Thank, thank you. you. My grandmother and Ms. Adams were best friends. I mean, she said, maybe you need to come to Adams Place. You'd love it. We're talking with Betty Kirksey. They go above and beyond of what their job is. 
I wish Miss Adams was still living so I could tell her, you were right, it is where I should be, and it's very nice. (laughs) I'm Terry Deal. Call me for more information about Adams Place, located at 1927 Memorial Boulevard, across from Walmart.